0: Of the Lord's table and also to hear from God's word. As always, it should be our prayer, our desire that the Lord would speak to our heart, especially as we look at this passage from this letter of the Apostle Paul. Now we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we reach chapter 5. And Ronnie Ren to us the course of scripture. And I hope all of you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you remember the last time when he was studying 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there were a couple of things that we looked at, but today we are going to go through every verse of that chapter. So if you turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, last time if you remember, we discussed this topic, when I tolerate sin. That is what we looked at from chapter 5. What happens to a believer when he tolerates sin? What happens to a church when they tolerate sin? I hope you remember we discussed from chapter 5 three things that would happen to any believer, any church, that tolerates sin. Do you remember we looked at the context, we looked at the, the theme verse, which was verse 4 of chapter 5. We looked at that chapter, chapter 5 and verse 4, and the context of that passage is verse 4 where it says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we discussed this, when we gather, we gather in the name of our Lord. When we come together on a Sunday, we gather in the name of our Lord. For our cell groups, we gather in the name of our Lord. When we teach our Sunday school, we gather in the name of our Lord. For every meeting that happens when believers come together, they gather in the name of our Lord. Now what's the significance? What's the importance of gathering in the name of our Lord? Just as it says in the gospels where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. And that's the beauty of that verse. When we gather in the name of our Lord, we know for a fact, just as the scripture teaches, that the Lord Jesus is in our midst. The Lord Jesus Christ is indeed present. But you know when the Lord Jesus Christ is present in our midst, sin should be absent. You agree with me? When the Lord Jesus Christ is present in our midst, sin should be absent. It is impossible. we need to ask ourselves is that if the Lord is present in Calvary Bible Fellowship this morning, is there sin also present in our lives? And that's why it says when you gather or you are assembled in the name of our Lord, it is impossible for sin to prevail in our lives, to prevail in our church. And when you and I begin to tolerate sin in our lives, what happens? We look at three things. We saw number one that a small sickness affects the entire body. That is the worst that only has left to us. A small ease, if it is left like that, it will work its way completely into the door. And imagine if sin is prevalent in our lives. Imagine if sin is there in our church. And imagine if you and I are quiet. A small sickness, if it is not treated, could lead to cancer. We also saw that because of the presence of habitual sin, it could affect our participation of the Lord's table. And that's why he says, get rid of the old east. Why? Because the Lord has been sacrificed for us from the cross. And Bradeep rightly reminded us, when he was praying, he said, Lord, let nothing hinder us from participating of this Lord's kingdom. And many a times when sin is not treated in our lives, in our churches, it can affect our participation of the Lord's kingdom. Thirdly, we also saw that our yearning for the word of God would become very weak. The more I involved with sin in my life, the more my desire for God's word grows weaker and weaker and weaker. So as we look at chapter 5 today and as we look at what Apostle Paul is trying to tell us, I want all of us to examine our own lives, first of all, and then let us all in the light of the scriptures examine our lives collectively as a church. You know, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we know that the overall word that appears there is the sin of sexual immorality. Apostle Paul is specifically dealing with this sin, the sin of sexual immorality. Now you look at what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. You and I very well clearly know from this chapter that there is one man living in that sin, Correct? But isn't it amazing or fascinating that Apostle Paul holds everybody in the church responsible for that one man's Through True or false? That's what he's actually trying to say. It is reported that there is sexual immorality amongst you. That all of us together are responsible for that one person living sin. Think about it. And I want to pause for this minute and I want all of you. Think of our own lives and all of us as a church and ask ourselves, see is there immorality amongst us today? Is there any of us struggling with the sin of sexual immorality? Is there any of us who is walking down the same path that Apostle Paul was talking about? You know, when we talk about sexual immorality, there are three things that I want to pinpoint from this chapter. Three things that I want to pinpoint from this chapter. Number one, I want to talk about our attitude towards immorality. Verses 1 to verse 6. I want to talk about our attitude towards immorality. It is actually reported reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. Verse 2, and you are proud, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief, is what Apostle Paul says. Think about our attitude towards immorality. Think about our attitude towards sin. You know, my brothers and sisters, I want to say like this, the gaudy response to immorality is grief. The gaudy response to sin in itself is grief. If you and I know that there is sin in our life, we must be grievous, we must be sad, we must not become happy. And if there is sin in our church as well, collectively, together, as God's family, we must grieve over that sin. And that's exactly what Paul says, and you are proud in verse 2. Shouldn't you rather grieve together when you know that there is sin among you? You know the godly response to immorality is grief. Over and over again, verse 1, verse 2, you look at verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good, dear church. Your boasting is not good. Don't come together and don't tell yourself that it is alright that there is someone living in sin. Because your response to immorality needs to be one of grief. You know, as an assembly, as a church, we must grieve when there is sin in our home. We must grieve when we are aware of sin in our church. Brothers and sisters, are we okay with our pattern of sin? Is it okay with us when we habitually sin every single day? Or like Apostle Paul reminds us of scriptures, do we grieve when we have committed sin? Do we grieve when we know that we have fallen short of the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ? That in spite of how much the Lord has forgiven me, I continue to disobey and break His commandments. Do we grieve over our sins? Or are we proud? Do we boast? Do we tell ourselves that there is nothing that anybody can do? That I will live in this condition of my sin and I will be happy to bear it. No, Apostle Paul says, shouldn't you rather... Let me give you another example. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26, so you look at what he talks about, the condition of the church. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part <coughs> rejoices with it. Is that the condition of our church today? If there is someone living in sin, do we suffer along with that person? If there is someone who is finding it difficult in their walk with the Lord, do we understand, do we suffer along with that person? Is it that sin so much so affects each and every one of us? It's what Apostle Paul is trying to say, that if one of us suffers, no matter what the reason may be, everybody suffers as a result of that. That's why he says, I know that there is one guy like this, but I'm understanding of the fact that together, all of you are responsible for that one man day. The godly response to immorality is grief. Now let me say like this. Listen to me carefully. The godly response to immorality is to hate the sin and not the uh, the, the godly response to immorality is to hate the sin, and not the sin. Maybe that's the lesson that you and I Isn't that true? Maybe that's where you and I make the mistakes many times. Because today, along with hating the sin, often you and I also Hate the sin. You and I become judgmental.
1: We look down on
0: people when we know that they're living in sin. And probably that's the reason why you and I hesitate to tell others that I'm suffering. Because I'm afraid that I will be looked down upon. But the godly response to immorality is to hate the sin, not the sin. You know, therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want to say like this there must be a mutual concern among us. Not only for the physical well being but also for the spiritual well-being of each other, yes? Not only for the physical well-being, so that I might have to open my purse, I might have to open my house, I might have to take care of you when you are sick, but also for the spiritual well-being of each and every one of us. And the more we get to know each other, the more we spend time with each other, the more that it is built on trust, the more I open up, the more you open up, the more we share with each other as fathers the more I understand, when we share our struggles with each other, we will learn by the grace and mercy that comes from God to help each other out. Probably the reason why the church never had a problem with him is simply because there were others also living in the same city. They didn't want to do anything about it. The godly response to immorality is hate to hate the sin not the sin. If I am struggling in my Christian life, do I consider my believers, or God's simply someone that people that I can open up to and share my difficulties with? If you turn to Galatians chapter six and verse two, Galatians chapter six and verse two, there it says very clearly, carry each other's burdens in this way and you will fulfill the law of Christ. You You and I are here, placed by God, yes, to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also to help carry each other's burden. It is so that you will carry my burden, that I will carry your burden, that you will help me in areas that you are strong at, that I can talk to you about areas in my life that I am struggling with, that together as a church, we will learn to hate our sin, but not to hate ourselves we will learn to discipline and judge the sin and not each other. That we will learn not to look down on each other, but in spite of our weaknesses, help each other grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what the godly response is to immorality. And I also want to add that the godly response at all times is to firstly observe our own lives before we get born in the life. The godly response to immorality is to first examine my own life even before I try to examine somebody else's life. In the Gospels we know of that teaching of the Lord Jesus, he says, even before we begin to remove the speck of dust in your brother's eye, remove the two by four that is there in your own eye." And sometimes it's the two by four that blocks our view that does not allow us to help our brothers and sisters who are starting to this. The godly response to immorality is to at all times observe our own hearts before we end our lives. Let's quickly look at two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. If you look at what Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Be careful, my brothers, that you do not fall. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, the second part. Galatians chapter 6 Verses one and the second part. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. The godly response to immorality is greed. The godly response is to hate the sin, not the sinner. And the godly response is to at all times observe my own life even before I begin to work in the life of others. Church, can I be honest with all of us as brutally as I can? Is there immorality in my life today? Is there any of us who are struggling with the sin of immorality? Is there any of us who struggle with masturbation? Is there any of us who are caught in the chain of pornography? Is there any of us who are running after lust? Husbands, how are we doing in our marriage? Wives, how are you doing in your marriage? Singles, how pure are you in your relationship with the Lord? All of us together as a church, can I openly ask, is there the sin of immorality in our lives? If so, can I encourage all of us to grieve? And not to rejoice, to become sad and not be proud, to not think that I'm someone great by what I do, but understand that the godly response to sin that is there in my life needs to be
1: one of
0: Is there any of us who struggle with this deep sin of immorality? Number two. Not only really, do we need to consider our attitude towards immorality, number two, we need to look at our actions against immorality. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works to the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new batch of yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You know, immorality needs to be removed from our lives. Immorality needs to be removed from our church. It needs to. How do we do that? Verse seven. It says, "Get rid of the old deeds." We spoke about this the last time in detail. Get rid of the old deeds. If there is any of us struggling with this sin, with this deep sin of immorality, no matter what stage you might be in right like now, no matter how deep your struggle might be right now, it says, "Get rid of the old deeds." Get rid of the Old East. Remember that the new east of the Lord Jesus is inside your heart. And it is high time that you would look at that sin. It is high time that you would look at our actions and say, I need to let go. The sin of immorality needs to be removed from my life. It needs to be removed from our church. Immorality needs to be removed from the presence of our church. Get rid of the Old East. Why you place on the new piece, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only really that, I want to tell it you like this, immorality, sexual immorality, any gratification of the flesh, listen, any gratification of the flesh is not meant for our body. It is not meant for the children of God. And that's why we need to get rid of it. Now in order to clearly explain that, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. 13. Because Apostle Paul is talking about this. Now listen carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13. It says, food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the food. The, the Lord for the body. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Now why does the apostle Paul describe food and why does he talk about sex? Why does he talk about food and why does he talk about sex? It's because there was a great misunderstanding in the church. Now listen, now the members of the church placed food and sex on the same table. They placed food and sex on the same table. And this is how they explained the teaching. And they said that whenever I physically hungry, what do I eat? Hmm. But let me ask you, is there anything wrong in eating food? Yes or no? I am just satisfying the need of my physical body. Therefore, when I eat food just to satisfy the need of my physical body, there is nothing wrong in what I am doing. And in the same way they said, when my body desires sex, all that I am doing is just satisfying the need of my physical body. And if eating food just to satisfy your hunger is not wrong, therefore, having sex outside of marriage or whatever, however I want to do, is also not wrong. Because all that I am doing is satisfying the need for my physical body. That's the reason why the Lord says, if his food is meant for the stomach, stomach is meant for the food. But one day, the Lord will destroy. When we go into his presence, we will no longer need food to eat. And then he goes on to explain and he says, I did not create sex. I created food for the sustenance of your life, but I never created sex for the sustenance of your life. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. And you know the final thing that he talks about, he says, Any the reason why I made sex is so that one day when a man and a woman will be united in holy mattery. Only on the grounds of marriage can you do what I have designed for you. So basically, the Lord and the Spirit, the Apostle says, anything out of marriage is called as immorality. making sense? Anything out of marriage is called no. That's the reason why immorality is, no. and that's why masturbation is. No. And that's why I'm being addicted to <laughs> being under the wagon of lust, is wrong. Because that was not why God had created that in the first place. <coughs> so for all of us who are single, I would like for us to be very much born in the life. Be very careful as to well how you live your single life. Because you could fool us as a church, but you cannot fool God. I would like each and every one of you to examine your life in the light of I want all of us who are preparing for marriage to think of the same thing. And I want to take a minute for all of us, as husbands and wives, to ask ourselves to the same question. Somebody else caught our attention? Or am I still pure? Am I faithful to my spouse in my marriage relationship? That's why he says in chapter 6, verse 1, everything is permissible for you," but not everything is reason is because immorality is not meant for the physical body, it is not made because we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. So chapter 5 and verse 7 it says get rid of the old east. Get rid of this old east of immorality in our life. No matter what our struggle may be, no matter what habit you and I might be stuck with, can we in the presence of the Lord in the light of what we heard say Lord I am so sorry and I know right now that I can't make any excuse. Would you please forgive me? Because my temple is the temple of the living God. And immorality should not be present in our life. Get rid, he says, of the Holy. Now look at what he says in chapter 6 and verse 18. He says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Flee! The same thing on the go Get away! Get rid of flee. And I believe that when Apostle Paul uses this word flea, I'm sure he's reminded of Genesis chapter 39, about the example of Joseph. <laughs> right? Because that's exactly what Joseph did. He left his cloak, he left the home, he left his responsibilities, because he wanted to flee from sexual immorality. Because he had the right motive in his mind. He said, you know, other than you, my master has given me every responsibility under his roof. The only reason why he has withheld you from me is because you are his wife. How then can I sin against Lord. Louder. How then can I sin against Lord. Lord. Oh God. I can't do this. And that's why he left his throat. And he fled when he And you know, believers, probably that's the best advice that the scripture can give to us when sin knocks at our door. Let's not open the door, but rather (laughs) let's let's run away. Let's call up somebody and let's tell them and I have this temptation right now, would you pray with me? Let's open the scriptures. Let's read the same passage again. Let's remind us of the judgment, the punishment that will come there if you and I walk down this path. Let's let's frighten ourselves, knowing that if we are casual in our relationship with the Lord, you and I will stand in this presence and give an account. And let's flee when immorality knocks at our door. We need to run away. When we struggle, when we face the sin of immorality. Get rid of the old evil that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. As you really are. Is there morality in my life? Though I continue to live with immorality, come here on Sunday and participate in the Lord's sin. Our action against immorality teaches us that that should not be present. You and I need to flee. We need to get rid of that since we Number one, our attitude towards immorality, number two, our action against immorality. Number three, our approach towards
1: immorality versus nine onwards. Our approach towards immorality. Now look at what he says. First Corinthians chapter five, verse nine onwards. Can somebody read that verse for me? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater Reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. F- for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So what
0: is our approach towards immorality versus my onwards? You know, we should not associate with those that are immoral. We should not associate with those who are living such immoral lives. And you look at what Apostle Paul says in verse 9, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I am not at all being the people of this world who are immoral. Or the greedy, the swindlers, idolaters, in that case you would have to leave this world. You know, Apostle Paul had already taught in the church not to associate with immoral people. The church misunderstood thinking that he was talking about unbelievers. And he's saying, I'm not talking about the unbelievers who are involved, The swindlers, the idolaters. Guys, I'm not saying that you should not associate with them. Why? Because we are surrounded by unbelievers. That's why he says that if that is the case, you would have to leave this. We cannot take public transport because we are filled with unbelievers all around us. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, don't associate with, with immoral, with those who are immorally living within the church of Believers who are living within the church. Be very careful as to how we associate with the believers. Now, how are we supposed to associate towards immorality? Now, look at what he says in verse 12. What, is, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Now, this is what I told you earlier. We all become very uneasy when we talk about the word judgment. Right? Someone prescribes, you know what I we all get very uneasy when we say the word judge. We all, when we hear this word judge, we immediately think of the stage that there is one of us sitting on top and looking down on us and questioning us. And when we talk to believers and if we ask a simple question, the most common response we get is, Why are you judging me? But when Apostle Paul says, Aren't you supposed to judge those inside the church? That's not what he's talking about. The word judge in this context simply means. Discipline those living immoral lives, and I praise and I thank God that in our church we have got the elders who discipline us very much. So let me ask ourselves the question in this way: Do and Rebbe have big in our lives? Are we humble enough? Do we respect the discipline, the decisions that comes to them from God about our lives so much so that you and I are humble enough? submitting ourselves to the authority of our God-given elders when they pinpoint sin in our life. Or in this context, when they pinpoint morality in my life. I don't have the authority to talk about the elders discipline, but I want to talk to you about God's discipline. Because that's where they discipline us. What if God is going to discipline me in regards to sin in my life? Am I willing to accept it? Am I submissive enough to look at God and say, God, thank you for in my life. God would intervene in my life directly, God would speak to my elders, God could bring about that sin in my life to somebody else. But am I humble enough to accept that? Whenever anything is pinpointed in my life, or are we quick to question? To protect ourselves. When we do Accept the discipline that comes from God. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews? And we just look at a verse for that in terms of God's discipline. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And I'd like to read from verses 7 onwards. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7 onwards. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and He respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father for our spirits and living? Our Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness in peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, it says verse twelve, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather. Do we accept the discipline that comes from God? Do we accept the discipline that comes from our elders, from our leaders in the church? no matter what they pinpoint in our lives or in this context, if they were to pinpoint morality. Are we humble enough to accept the discipline that comes Do we realize that the scripture gives very clear instructions that we are not supposed to associate with those who are living such lives, but be role models to them, show them that this is not the way we are supposed to walk? And humbly accept the discipline that comes. Immorality. You know, a person who is involved in immorality is called an adulteress. Yes? Yes or no? And when you and I are involved in immorality, we are called adulteress people. We know that verse very well. If you could just come to James chapter 4 and verse 4, James is talking to the church. James is the first letter written in the New Testament. That means he's writing to a, a newborn church. And to a newborn church, James in chapter 4 verse 4 looks at and Jesus and he says, You are adulterous people! You who are living in immorality. And I want to take one point from that verse. How do we commit adultery according to James chapter 4 verse 4? Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Probably there might be some of us who might not be struggling with the morality in 1st Corinthians 5, but there could be some of us who are struggling with our friendship with the world. And either way, the scripture very clearly states that we commit the in our We become a darkness. Do we walk in patterns with this word? Have we become very close to this word? Has the, has the love of money overtaken our heart? Do we run after money? Do we run after fame? Do we run after the things of this world? Do we make compromises? Do we make wrong decisions? As a result of which, it says, when we become friends of this world, we become adulterous people. And he's calling born again believers. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? So, born again believers, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Can each of us examine our lives personally first, and let's ask ourselves some tough questions. Is there immorality in my life? As a single, as someone who is going to get married, as husbands and wives, as believers of our church, is there the sin of immorality within me? Have I been recently indulging in the pleasures of my fleshly life? Have I given in to sin? Have I been walking in the ways of sin? Have I been struggling in my relationship with the Lord, no matter what it may be? Has my view take, been taken away from God? And have I started to view other sins? Are there all their habitual sins like masturbation, for and lust in my life? What is our attitude towards immorality? Do we grieve over sin? Do we collectively as a church grieve when we know that there is sin amongst us? Or are we proud? Or are we happy? What are our actions against immorality? Do we get rid of these things? Do we flee? Do we run away? Or do we make excuses saying, all that I do is, I'm just satisfying the needs of my physical body? No! Because God will destroy it and What is our approach towards immorality? Do I know that even if I walk in patterns towards destroy, I become a sinner? one more adulterous We've he heard of the statement that all sin is equal in the eyes of God and that's true. There's nobody sitting here who can say I have committed greater than that. There's nobody who can say my sins are not great as yours. All sin is equal in the eyes of God. In fact, sin was the problem and sin continues to be the problem of the world today. Sin was the problem in the Eden. When Satan posed a question into the mind of Eve, and he said, did God really sin? And when she saw the fruit that she desired it and when she ate and gave to her husband, Adam and Eve, the first
1: man, committed sin.
0: The Bible says that he gave to that first man Adam and as a result of coming through Adam, because he committed sin, all of us have committed sin. And as a result of sin, you and I are sinners. Listen carefully. You and I are not sinners because of what we do. We are sinners because that is how you and I are. The Bible very clearly teaches in Romans chapter three verse twenty-three that that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty-three teaches that that the wages of sin is is death. And anybody, therefore, on this circumstance, who is born in sin, who lives in sin without remorse, and eventually dies in their sin, will go on to. Damnation. Sin was the problem, and sin is still the problem today. But the scriptures also talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the good news, and that is the gospel. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the only person who came to this world to die for actual sinners like us. I reminded you that the Bible says that we all been born in sin. And if you realize right now that you are a sinner, that you are living far away from the, cross, from the grace of God, can I introduce Christ? Christ came into this world to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary. And it was on that cross that he paid the penalty of our sin. He was the one that we worshipped today and we continue to worship in our lives. Christ died and he paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He paid the price. He paid the penalty of your sin and by his action, he purchased you for eternity. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16 says, For oh God so loved the world that he gave this, only his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth Him should not perish, but have, everlasting life. And I wonder, is there anybody sitting who is still living outside the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? If there is any of you who has not accepted the Lord Jesus, can I encourage you? Would you examine your life right? And if you realize from the basis of scripture that you are a sinner, and if you realize right now that Jesus is the only thing, all that I request to do, wherever you are sitting is just in your heart. Tell the Lord that you are sorry. Tell the Lord that you realize that He died for your sin and receive Him into your heart. And the Bible says, to those who call on the name of the Lord, to them He has given them the privilege to be called. Can I take a minute to address the children of God? Oh children of Syria, children of God, are we living in sin? Then also there is the grace that comes from God. All that we need to do is approach His to it. All down and let us just tell, Lord, I am sorry. I have lost it. I have become modern. There are times when adultery is very prevalent in my life. And I am sorry, I grieve over my sin right now. And the action that I want to take is that I want to get rid of. And the approach to sin or the morality in my life is that I have understand the reason for which you are forgiven. I want to encourage us as believers also to take away. And let's ask the Lord to please forgive us. Not only as individuals but also as a church that if there is sin amongst us that we will not be proud or happy. We will grieve with one another. We will not judge but rather we will help. because sin, immorality, or dirty, cannot be present in my life. It cannot be present in our life. Can I request each of us to close our eyes and bow our head just for a minute? The reason I'm asking us to close our eyes and bow our head is so that we will examine our lives right now. We will not be distracted by anything that's happening in our lives. And as we examine our lives, can I ask each and every one of us to take a minute to think of our relationship with the Lord? Is there anybody sitting here probably does not have a relationship with the Lord? Probably you're coming here for the very first time, or no, probably you have been visiting us, or probably you have been here, but you realize today that you are not a child of God. All you need to do simply, wherever you are seated, is open your heart, and tell the Lord that you are sorry, that you need His forgiveness and ask about the Lord to forgive you. Would you take a minute after the meeting to come and talk to us because we would like to pray for you and counsel and All of us who are born again believers, can I ask all of us so bluntly, do we live in immorality? Is there any of us who are struggling with this grave and deep sin? Can we grieve over our sin? As husbands, if we have failed, can we ask him for forgiveness? As why you see we have faltered, Can we receive the grace that comes from the Lord as symbols? Can we pledge our purity to the Lord as we wait for the day when you will be married? And as a church, if there is that sin, can we get rid of that? Can we free from this sin? Can we tell the Lord, Lord, I do not, no longer want to be weak, but I want to be strong. And let us freely receive the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to pray in close, before I pray, I'm going to give you a few seconds. Whatever it is that you want to pray and in the light of the Lord, would you do that? Let me bring close. Our God, a gracious God, a loving and a living Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is forgiveness at the cross, that there is grace, amazing grace, amazing grace that can cover all. We admit that we struggle with immorality. There are habitual sins that we find very difficult to overcome. But today you have reminded us, you have warned us of the danger of sin. We gather in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the power that comes from the cross. We pray that we want to overcome these sins that are in our life. I pray for my dear friends who have not received you yet. I pray that you are welcome to understand what it means to a child of God. I pray for us as a church, as God's children. God's believers, we will ask to examine our own lives, for the light of what we heard, and if there are hidden sins in my life, expose it, Father God. May we ask to ask you forgiveness and sacrifice. Exactly. Thank you for the grace that forgives us, that you for the love that you shower upon us, and thank you for everything that you continue to give us at this point. We continue to worship you. Bless us Lord. Father, if you are to return today, what a joy. What a joy it would be for us to be reunited with But if you are to tarry for one more day, one more week, then you will have to live in the strength and the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus Christ's holy precious name, we ask our name.